Good evening and welcome to Mouthful, smart talk about food, wine, farming, and so much more here on KRCB-FM. How are you doing this evening? Um, hope you've been enjoying yourself, getting out to maybe some farm stands, farmer's markets, or maybe you've got a great garden going this season. I know lots of people are doing that. Um, tonight's show is a topic that is very, very special for, to me, and it's a topic that I'm going to revisit um, at least a couple more times this year, um, and I'll, I'll talk about how exactly I'll be doing that towards the end of the show. But we're featuring Mary Frances Kennedy Fisher, MFK Fisher, a writer, a treasure of a writer who lived, um, um, God, nearly a couple decades of her, more than a couple decades of her final years in Glen Ellen in a place called Last House. Uh, her name will be hearing about Last House with Susie Allen. They were uh, getting ready to open up with a number of events and um, lots of access to Last House when um, coronavirus hit. So uh, plans, of course, are being adjusted. And we're going to hear about uh, what some of those plans are from Susie. But first, I want to talk about my introduction to MFK Fisher. It came, oh gosh, in the mid to late 1970s on probably New Year's morning, 1976 or 77. I was in Santa Barbara and I woke up long before everybody else woke up, including my two little girls. At the time, I was studying French. I had graduated, gotten my BA, and my plan was to get my master's degree and apply to study in Aix-en-Provence. Uh, I'd minored in French, and my dream was to go and live in Aix-en-Provence for a year with my two little girls. So I got up, and I'm going through the bookshelves of this home where I'm staying, and I see this book. Um, I pulled it off the shelf and I opened it up. It just sort of fell open. And it was a story about a woman from California who was living in Aix-en-Provence with her two daughters. And I was so completely charmed. I just devoured that book that day. Um, and then I didn't think a whole lot about it for a long time. And you have to think that at that time in the late 70s, um, there was not really a foodie culture um, Restaurant critics at that point were sort of stiff. They were all mostly mostly men. Um, food sections in newspapers were not particularly compelling. There wasn't much interest, not a lot of interesting narrative. Um, but there was MFK Fisher, who wrote really interestingly, not so much about food, though she did write about food in detail. She wrote about hunger. She wrote about what it meant to be a human who ate and everything that comes out of that, um, from um, the pleasures 
of eating to the communion that takes place when people are eating together. And it wasn't until the 80s, and I believe it was with the publication of her book, As They Were, when this new generation, this new group of people um, in America and the growing interest that we had on better food uh, started to notice her and started to come to her door. Um, I didn't. I was much too shy, and I regret that. And she and I were witnessing some of the same things at that time. Um, you know, the fires and the freezes and the aching of the um, eucalyptus trees as they were dying from the freezes. She wrote about that so beautifully. And I was living not all that far from her as the crow flies. But we didn't meet until the late uh, 80s when she gave a talk. She was interviewed by John Ash at a series of talks um, put on by Julie Atwood at the uh, Sonoma Community Center. And she was one of them. And she was just delightful and hilarious. And John was hilarious, but Mary Frances made Josh, John blush a couple of times. And at the end, I decided to go up and introduce myself. And so I did. And she said, oh, yes, I know you. I know your work. And I'd, I'd been writing a free column for a couple of years. And I just thought, how could she possibly say that? She could not possibly know this little column I was writing in the town of Sebastopol. But it turns out a few years later, I made friends with a woman named Shirley Wells, who had become very good friends with Mary Frances. Shirley liked my column, and she would take it to Mary Frances and read it to her. So she actually did know. And I, I don't think I discovered that for a long time. Anyway, I later, when I finished my first manuscript, my uh, age, my um, editor at the time, who had also published um, one of um, Mary Frances's books, um, he took me with her. He wanted her to read my manuscript, and we connected immediately. In part because hanging above her bed, and she was sick at the time. I think she may have just had surgery. Um, was a mobile of black bats and a crescent moon, and I had the exact same mobile hanging above my desk in my office, and that I got over my nervousness, and it was Mary Frances. You have the same bats, and. Turns out we loved bats. Her first letter to me, she signed it from one bat lady to another. We were both members of Bat Conservation International. And that launched a friendship that lasted uh, for three all too short years. Um, but it was a really great connection. And one of the things, before I introduce Susie, that I want um, as, as you th that I want you to understand as you think about her, she often said, I'm not a food writer. She said that over and over. Food writers are typically diminished, um, often dismissed, and they certainly were then even more so than they are now. But she was a sensualist. And I think that that sensual quality that seemed innate in her and led her to battle her extremely strict uh, grandmother who didn't seem to believe in pleasure at all. But at one point, she connected with France. And one of the things I love most about France is they don't get excited about their food being good. They expect it to be good. French people think of pleasure as a birthright. And that's where I see the intersection of Mary Frances and myself. If we didn't enjoy eating, we wouldn't be a species because we wouldn't notice ourselves and we would die out. So that 
the pleasure we take in all of our physical activities was much of the territory that I think she explored and explored as beautifully as any writer in English. When I lived in Aix-en-Provence, a grand aioli was considered a pretty devastating festival, gastrically at least, and this wine and that one would be recommended to offset its rigors, and often serious students of regional cooking would interrupt their research in the middle of a meal for a quick, salubrious toss-down of local mark. In general, though, the main menace is an overindulgence in the sauce rather than in all its accompaniments. And if one is psychosomatically ill-adjusted to a plain, robust meal accompanied firmly by the flavor of garlic, the whole thing should be tucked into gastronomical Siberia. M.F.K. Fisher, The Downward Path, in with bold knife and fork. This is Allegra Broughton of Solid Air for Mouthful on KRCBFN. I'm going to uh, introduce our guest, Susie Allen. Thank you for being available for Mouthful. Michelle, thanks so much for having me. It was great to hear this background story of your introduction to Mary Frances. So thank you for that. I didn't know that. Sorry. Oh, you know, I can't remember everything I've shared with you or what I haven't shared. So there's lots of stories. <laughs> um, tell us first, what is your formal position at Audubon Canyon Ranch? So I am the Last House Program Coordinator, okay. uh, and I'm the first actual Last House Program Coordinator. We've done lots of things over the years at Last House, but there has never been a formal program in place. Right. So uh, it's really exciting to um, to be creating that. Excellent. Now, uh, do you want to tell people how Last House came about? And exactly, I know it's on Audubon Canyon Ranch, but what's the right. history of the ranch? So yeah, so the Audubon Canyon Ranch is uh, is a nonprofit organization um, that uh, has 5,000 total acres. We have four preserves, and one of those preserves is the Boobery Preserve. Uh, the Boobery Preserve came about from uh, David uh, Plydell Boobery, who lived on the preserve. Um, that's 535 acres is the size of Boobery. And he gifted that to um, Audubon Canyon Ranch in 1978, and he lived there until he died in 94. So interesting tidbit, the the only two buildings that survived the 2017 fires were uh, David Boobery's house and Last House. That's remarkable. So all the, wow. All their offices, uh, their Boobery, the Boobery um, offices were there. And uh, yeah, none of those none of those survived. So, have, have you been able to rebuild anything yet? No, uh, <laughs> no. They they did do a uh, a renovation of David Boobery's house and are using it for offices, which is great. Oh, that's uh, perfect. Yes, that's be, perfect. You know, people get to be on the preserve. Staff get to be on the preserve. Um, last house came about, Mary Frances was living in St. Helena. A lot of people remember her from her Victorian in downtown St. Helena. And she decided it was time to move, um, especially to a place without a whole lot of stairs. And David made the offer for her to design her little palazzo 
and he would build it, and any money left at the end or whatever would go to her heirs um, that was eventually part of the preserve. So that's how Last House came about, and she named it very boldly, I think. I think it's a wonderful name. Um, what is happening right now with um, the plans for events? You're going to be do- I know that you have a blog that I want to talk about, but you're going to be doing some uh, online events too, right? Yes, we're working on that. So let me just back up a little bit and say the the initial um, the initial structure of the program included a lot of different things, including events. So we we were planning always doing going to do some major fundraising events, which one of those was April scheduled for April four, as we know what all what happened to that. Um, but always in the original plans was to have uh, classes and to give tours and let the house be used by other nonprofits and organizations and foundations for meetings and board meetings and things like that. But what I basically did was shift my focus from events to classes and workshops. And so that was already starting to take place before COVID. And then I just made a big shift. (laughs) So uh, I've been putting together a lot of classes. I've got literary classes uh, writing workshops uh, with a focus on Mary Frances's books um, and even perhaps a writing competition, which we just started talking about this week. Um, we don't know a lot about that yet, so I won't say much about that. But um, obviously food classes because she did write about food. We're planning uh, lots of those, and I have teachers, local teachers, who are really interested in doing some of that there's lots of other kinds of classes um, that, we're, that we're trying to put on either virtually or, you know, to have ready to go when we can get back on the preserve, which mm-hmm. is not yet. Yes. Can you give us an, a, a close-up example of, say, a specific class or a workshop? Like, how long will it last? Uh, just tell us how it looks, what it will cost, you know, how many people involved, that sort of thing. Well, that sort of depends on whether we, we're going to do a virtual or an in-person. Sure, so let's do of, let's ta- just... let's do an example of each. Okay. Well, I, I don't have my. I'm not sure exactly which my what my virtual classes can be yet. So I'm still. Okay, that's okay. I've got I've got outlines for a lot of classes. One of the classes is um, is from uh, Kathleen. Kathleen Hill, who's a local Kathleen Thompson Hill. Yes, Everybody we know. Knows who She's that been is. a guest yes, on Mouthful several times. Um, yep. And uh, she's, she wants to do a vintage cooking with MFK Fisher and Kathleen Hill. That's kind of the title of her class. And, uh, you know, she's kind of laid out um, uh, an idea just about exploring the, the culinary history via reading her books and, you know, fun personal stories because she did, of course, know MFK Fisher and, um, you know, how she happened to live at, at, uh, on the Boobery Preserve and her relationship with David Boobery and, you know, just, just kind of a historical um, perspective and, um, you know, that kind of thing. So that's, you know, we're working on, on putting, putting that together um, in some way. That sounds great. And, you know, Kathleen is extremely entertaining as well as extremely, <laughs> extremely knowledgeable as well. Exactly. Yeah, she'll she'll be a great. Um, she's already worked with me on. She worked with me on the April event. Her and Clark Wolf um, both were helping me to put that on, mm-hmm. and they're both great uh, resources for all things MFK. Yeah, ta- uh, Clark and I talked uh, 
yesterday or today um, about the um, potential writing uh, competition, which I thought was interesting. Right. He said he wanted me to be a judge. We shall see. Vegetables are a physical pleasure to buy and clean and prepare and then cook and serve forth. I love their colors and odors and the feel of them. I also like the people who grow and sell vegetables. Gardeners and greengrocers seem a little fresher than plain shopkeepers with their shelves of cans and cornflakes, and basically more attractive than either butchers or druggists. This is Laurel Saxena of the Saxena Clinic for Mouthful on KRCB-FM. And then when it comes to food classes, are you, and are you thinking actual hands-on cooking classes? Well, that would be great once we can get back. Sure. Oh, of course. Of course. Of course. So 2021, maybe. Yeah, exactly. And, the, and then the other thing that we're, we're going to do is also interviews, um, interviews with people who knew Mary Frances, um, you know, people, just, you know, local people or not even. I mean, we don't have to stay local anymore of course. now that... I mean, the, the good thing about COVID is that we've opened up this entire virtual world, so um, we can get online and talk to people. And one of the people, one of the interviews that we have coming up, and we will be posting all of this information on our website, which I'll tell you about in a minute. But one of those interviews is Clark Wolf in conversation with Luke Barr. So Luke Barr was Mary Frances Kennedy's uh, grandnephew, right? Yes, and he lives. He lives in New York, and so um, we're gonna we're putting that together right now. Clark's working with me on that right now, and um, we'll have a great interview with him, and we'll feature his book. He wrote a great book called Provence, 1970, um, which is kind of about uh, you know it is about her trip to uh, France um, during that period, and all the people that she hung out with, Julia Child, Julian Paul Child, and um, all those people. So, um, yeah, so that, that'll be great, and that'll be coming up in the next month. Um, we'll have that um, featured. That sounds great. And then uh, you've got a blog going now. We do. And we also have – I've been uh, putting a lot of stuff on the website. Um, the website is egret.org, egret like the bird, um, in keeping with our science nature theme uh, at ATR. Um, E-G-R-E-T dot O-R-G. And in, uh, on the website, there is a last uh, house room, a last house page. And I've uh, created a new section called In the Reading Room. And I'm posting, putting stuff up there pretty much once a week uh, on interesting things, either about Mary Frances or, um, you know, just somehow related to her work or food or, you know, anything that's kind of related to last house. So there's some good reading in there. Um, I would encourage everybody to look at that. And that will be also, you know, we'll advertise all of these events and these things that are happening uh, on our website there. So you can find all of that. We also have social media, Instagram, Facebook, all that good stuff. Oh, so you're on you're on Facebook and Instagram. Great. We are. Um, are you maintaining like a MailChimp list or anything? Can people sign up for a newsletter or announcements? You know, uh, that's a really good question. Uh, I I think you I think there is there might be a link on Last House page uh, if people are interested, or they can always contact me. Uh, send me an email, uh, Susie Allen A L L E N at egret.org, 
and I will get them on. I'm I'm going to be putting together um, last house volunteer uh, program. Hopefully, get some. I had started that before COVID, <laughs> um, and you know, getting some people who are interested in volunteering uh, for events or for you know to help with other things. Um, yeah, I'm hoping to do that uh-huh. as well. That sounds great. The boy brought the champagne, wrapped elegantly in a red-checked napkin for the first time. He was suave and mischievous again, and it was plain that he felt like something in a paper-bound novel, serving fair wine that way at 11 in the morning in a first-class compartment. He swayed with exaggerated grace to the rocking of the car and flicked soot from the little wall table like the headwaiter at the Café de la Fée, at least, with his flat black eyes dancing. MFK Fisher from The Gastronomical Me. I'm Mark Green, Development Director at Food for Thought for Mouthful on KRCB-FM. We should say to locate Last House and the Bouverie Preserve and Audubon Canyon Ranch, it's on Glen Allen. It's in Glen Allen on Highway 12 or just off Highway 12. Um, It's north of, say, B.R. Cone Winery and uh, the Red Barn, which is always a marker for me, um, but south of Atwood Ranch and it is on the eastern, mm-hmm. si- eastern side of Highway 12. And you can see, if you, if, you, if you know where to look, you can see the uh, backside of Last House and the, the beautiful archway that looks into the uh, back porch. Right. I will say that uh, it is, the Blueberry Preserve is not open to the public. It, it's actually never open to right. the public, even even during COVID, um, of course, but but even before COVID. Um, so it's it is uh, you know. But I am happy to give people tours. I've given lots of people tours since I started last May, and uh, you know I'm always happy to do that um, once we can get back on the preserve in a way to do that. Mm-hmm. What is the overall uh, purpose function? mission of Audubon Canyon Ranch? Well, I'll tell you the vision The vision for Last House, which is to celebrate and extend MFK's legacy by engaging local and regional communities with culinary, nature education, literary arts activities that will expose and educate a broad audience to the importance of Audubon Canyon Ranch. Um, yeah. Okay, and then the other 5,000 acres, is it um, just a um, nature preserve that it is to maintain? Uh, main- well, we, we have four preserves. Oh, okay, so four it, preserves. So, yeah, so ACR, Audubon Canyon Ranch, is the overall mm-hmm. uh, not-for-profit organization that houses four preserves, which are all over um, Moran and Sonoma. Oh, uh, yes, Lake yes, County. yes, okay, so, I, knew, I did know that. Yeah, so... Yeah, so we have the Marty Griffin Preserve. Marty Griffin is one of our founders. Yes, amazing um, man, I'm just amazing. Who, who is amazing man. If we are celebrating, I'll just get a plug in here for Marty. He is celebrating his 100th birthday. <laughs> um, and we are, we're doing a, a big, a wonderful campaign right now called 100 for 100. Um, and you can find that again on our website. Oh, that's, that's um, good to so know. I, that's really good to know. So, Thank you. Yeah, July 23rd is his birthday, and he's uh, just an amazing, he's still very much involved um, with the organization, and uh, he's, he's just an amazing person. 
Yeah, thank you for mentioning him. I've got to get I'll get your contact his contact information from you so I can send him a birthday card. I know him, <laughs> but it's it's been a while. Well, Susie, thank you so much for being part of the show. I will be talking to you soon because of course I have all kinds of ideas for how I would like to be involved in the project as well because I, I loved her dearly. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Michelle, for, for having me on and to uh, kind of share what we're doing now during COVID and and beyond. And beyond. <laughs> and good luck to you and stay safe, my dear, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much, Michelle. Ah, that was Susie Allen from Last House, the events coordinator. MFK Fisher notes in her wonderful little book, An Alphabet for Gourmets, that gastronomy has been connected with its sister art of love. Passion and sex is the come and go, the preening and the prancing, the final triumph or defeat of two people who know enough, subconsciously or not, to woo with food as well as flattery. This is John Ash, or Mouthful, KRCB. Before I introduce our next guest, I just I have to tell you about this amazing day that I had at Last House. Um, Ginny Stanford uh, is a painter. She used to live in Sonoma County, and for a time we were really good friends. And she wanted to build her um, portfolio of portraits. She'd done portraits of a number of people when she'd lived in the South, and she'd gotten some pretty high-profile portraits along the lines of you know, bank presidents and that sort of thing. But she wanted to expand. She wanted to do something. She wanted to do more cultural things. And I had the idea that she paint Mary Frances. So I ran that by Mary Frances and her assistant, Marsha, wonderful person. And they agreed to it. We set up a time, and Ginny often put kimonos into her paintings, and she brought some kimonos along with her just in case. Mary Frances was dressed very nicely in this nice uh, printed shirt. Um, We photographed out on the um, back deck or the back patio of Last House, and after she took a number of photos um, of her in her own clothes, she... uh, draped a couple of kimonos around her and took some of those, uh, took some pictures of that. And at some point, I think Mary Frances got tired of posing because she reached up and she grabbed my hand and she pulled me onto the chaise lounge where she was being photographed. And we started laughing and talking and just cracking up. And then we also dressed up in kimonos and uh, Jenny just kept snapping photographs. So I have about 20 beautiful 8 by 10 color photographs of Mary Frances and I. Um, it turned out to be a very successful photo session. Um, she painted three full-size portraits. Uh, one went to a man somewhere in the Midwest. Another went to John Harris, who you will hear from at the end of this show, and who will also be my guest next week on Mouthful. And a third, amazingly, went to the, uh, National Port- the Smithsonian's National Portrait Gallery. And it was extremely popular when they published a book of 50 of the uh, portraits in the um, permanent collection. Uh, The portrait was included there. And the curator of the um, of the National Portrait Gallery loved the painting so much 
And this all happened when the Clintons were in office. And so without going into a whole lot of detail, uh, the painting of Mary Frances that went into the Smithsonian led to Ginny Stanford doing one of the three official portraits of Hillary Clinton that uh, they had to deliver as they left office. So there's a little slice of history for you um, that I think is really interesting. And right out of Sonoma County, uh, Ginny Stanford, I hear, has moved... um, to Mendocino County now, but I believe she is still painting. And I believe very, very good things have come out, continue to come out of both the portrait of Mary Frances and of Hillary Clinton. As for wines, they are for me. I like honest wines as such, all of them and always. Of course, some are better than others, and I like the best ones the most. But I could and would forgo any other liquid forever, as long as I might drink one humble wine with my daily bread. I like wine before, during, after, and in between meals, if things point that way. I like to know and to use local wines, which is probably why I have managed to live near the grapevines since I was four. MFK Fisher, having fallen into place in bold knife and fork. This is Joy Sterling, celebrating 44 years of Iron Horse Vineyards in the heart of Green Valley for Mouthful on KRCD-FM. There's going to be another movie. There have been two documentaries made so far about Mary Frances that I know of, and there is a third in the works. And we have a producer, I believe it is, filmmaker. Uh, I hope I say your last name correctly. I forgot to ask you, Gregory. Gregory Bazat? You got it. Excellent. So you sent me that wonderful trailer for the film, is the working title The Art of Eating, or is that the final title? I think we just changed that in the last well, six, eight weeks, and I think that's going to be the final title on it. I mean, it's still working, but I'm leaning towards it. The Art of Eating covers so much with her. But, yeah, I'm leaning towards that. Yeah, yes. very much so. And, of course, it was the title of a collection of, I think, what, her first five I think it was her first five books. Her famous book that made her really put her into the the realm of famous, if you will. Right, right. What made you, when did you discover her and what made you think that she was a great subject for a film? Well, um, that's interesting. I I worked at Sunset Films, um, the division of Sunset Magazine, for about four or five years in the early 1980s. And one day I got a call uh, at our offices from Jerry DeVecchio. Jerry DeVecchio was the food editor of Sunset Magazine, which was a big deal. Absolutely. And Jerry was, yeah, and Jerry's Jerry's a powerhouse. You know, it was almost, you know, it was an inch, two and a half, an inch, inch and a half thick. So Sunset was a big deal. And she called and she said, I want to go up to uh, Sonoma for the day. I didn't know anything more about her. Um, we went up, like yourself, I went to Last House. Jerry brought a nice uh, a lunch, a couple bottles of wine, and I got to meet MFK Fisher for the whole day. 
Um, I got to interview her. We talked extensively, and she was absolutely captivating. Mm-hmm. Um, she's uh, she's smart, erudite. She was flirtatious, um, an absolute charming person. I didn't know who she was before. I had read a couple of her books, and so that made a lasting impression on me. And then fast forward to about two and a half years ago, and I read an article in the Chronicle that reminded me about Last House, and I just thought, and it clicked. I was like, I'm, you know, I'm a documentary filmmaker by trade, and um, I'm always looking for a topic, and that popped into my head, and in the second I got it, I, um, I said, let's go. Um, I wrote a proposal, an initial proposal, and contacted um, Kennedy, uh, MFK's daughter. Kennedy Golden is her name. And I, don't know, I clicked with the family, with the estate and the trust. And um, it's my sensibilities, if you will. I've always... I guess ever since the Sunset Films days, I've worked on films about uh, food, sustainability, the meaning of food in our lives. And this gives me a chance to bring all of the my sensibilities together into this one film. Excellent. That sounds wonderful. Um, when you first met her back in those days, when her voice was still strong, um, mm-hmm. did you get any film of her, or it, does any film of her during those years exist? It was, no, unfortunately not. It was an audio interview. I wish it had been a Oh, but you do have interview. the, but you do have uh, the audio. No. Excellent. Um, by the time I met her, her voice was nearly gone. Uh, we know that uh, Parkinson's I guess the way to put it is Parkinson's pretty much paralyzed her vocal cords. And when I met her, she was able to talk at a whisper, but that declined. Um, so it's great that you got an audio, yeah, no, audio recording. I was, it was early enough. She was in very good health, terrific spirits. She and Jerry were really close. Um, and, yeah, she, it, was, it was great. It was really a special day. I, I do you remember what you're... Uh, I'm, I'm investing... Oh. Uh, making a documentary film is a substantial move, right? Raising the money and working through all the trials and tribulations of it, uh, it's a lot of work. Absolutely. I'll, I'll say. How, so yeah. How far... Uh, where are you in the process? Just beginning midway? I would say midway. Midway, okay. It better be midway. Um <laughs> I've I've got wonderful interviews with Alice Waters, Ruth Reichel, Jacques Pepin, Kennedy, uh, John Ash, uh, and Marsha Moran. I heard you mention her. Yes, Marsha. Um, uh, and I've got roughly seven or eight more individuals I'd like to interview. Am I on that um, list? I hope I'm on that list. You are definitely on that list. <laughs> oh, good. You know, there's no question. Um, I, I want to interview Jerry. Yes. Uh, and I want to go back east. There's a couple of... Um, there's a professor up at Boston University I want to interview. Uh, Gabriella Hamilton, if you all yes. know who she is. Yes. 
And she she edited uh, one or two books. Uh, I think she edited a collection a photo- collection of f- photography of about Mary of Mary Frances. Uh, I can see it sitting on my shelf. Um, maybe that's the only one she did. It's a beautiful book. Which one's that? The Boss Gaines's wife. Yeah, she did. Didn't she edit right. a book of photography of Mary Fran or a book of photographs of Mary Frances? Absolutely. Yes. It's a beautiful book. Beautiful. Go- absolutely gorgeous. Um, so I'll get those interviews in the can. And uh, the most expensive part of the shoot is, and obviously COVID is a, uh, a substantial concern, is to go to Europe with a small camera crew, film in Dijon. Provence and in Switzerland where she lived and it's not recreation I'm calling it visuals shoot the visuals that will go along with those that meaningful experiences that she had when she saw France for the first time and uh, continuing to live there Mm -hmm. Uh, so it would be all of that footage would intersperse the whole this film is going to be told through her letters and through the voice of MFK Fisher. And it'll be punctuated and brought into the contemporary world with the interviews. I, I but, love, I love that. I'm, I love that you're letting her words lead because that's what she was about. I mean, she was just such an incredible, she had such an incredible way with the English language. Some of the most beautiful writing I've ever read. Oh, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. It's one of the things I'll say. I've said it numerous times, but it's really the truth. Mary Frances had a gift of knowing when to stop writing. Yes, she absolutely. A lot of authors don't have that. I mean, what happens is she would get to a certain point and then she would stop, be it a sentence, a paragraph, or a whole book. And then your imagination, as the reader, takes off and runs. And she really was a, a master of that. That's a really interesting way to put it. And I think in the trailer, Ruth Reichel touches on that concept as she well. Does touch on that. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Tomatoes. I love them. The best way to eat them is in the garden, warm and pungent from the vine, so that one can suck unashamedly and bend over if any of the juices escape. M.F.K. Fisher, having fallen into place in with bold knife and fork. This is Laurel Saxena of the Saxena Clinic for Mouthful on KRCB FM. One of the places, I wonder if it still exists, uh, I think the story was called I Was Really Very Hungry. And she's walking, and she's walking a long distance. People do that in Europe. You know, they go on walking trips. And she ends up, right. she ends up alone in a restaurant, and she has trout bleu or tui bleu. And she talks about this and how full she is and how they just keep bringing her more and more food, this woman alone. It's a great story. And, I've, and it was outside of Paris. It was not in Paris. It was in the country somewhere. And I've always wondered if it was still there and if I, could, if I could ever get there myself. It's a place I'd love to go. I know that story. I absolutely love it, yeah. Do you remember, the, so, do you remember where it was, what town or near what town? 
I don't. I'd have to go. Yeah, back. I, me too. I, I would yeah. Just be guessing. That I, I yeah. For some reason in my head, it seems like it's east of Paris a little bit, but you know, I'll go home and look it up, and I'm sure you will uh, too. Um, when do you think we might see this? Well, the plan. Right. I'll finish. Uh, I didn't finish answering your. Question. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, that's fine. So I'm going to get these next set of interviews. I need some funding. I don't need the whole major amount, but the plan is I need X amount of dollars to get the film in the can, if you will. Yes. Shoot 90% of it, with the exception of Europe. And I will then edit um, however long this film wants to be, if it wants to be a 60-minute film or a 90-minute film. And then I'm going to be submitting it to uh, American Masters. They've already expressed a great deal of interest. Oh, excellent. That's a great idea. That is a great idea. Uh, When, you know, I'm hoping six months from now, Mm -hmm. COVID definitely has been, I had a great deal of momentum going we were going to meet. Um, we were going to meet for lunch. I had this whole box of things I was I going to bring to show you. <laughs> yeah, and I that know. was the day of shutdown. And COVID has definitely gotten in the way. And so this fall I get back on the uh, horse to raise money, um, doing the interviews in the fall. I started to, in my other business, the uh, commercial work, commercial filming that I do, we have had one shoot Uh and it was at a large corporation down in Silicon Valley. And it was interesting. You walked into the building. They immediately took your temperature. Uh, they hand out gloves, masks, hand sanitizer. And they put us in an exceedingly large room so we could do the filming, uh, but keep, you know, not get close to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I know that every setting is not going to be that. It was the perfect setup for doing uh, a video in the COVID world. Uh-huh. Uh, and I, you know, like everybody, I'm very concerned about it. Yeah, uh, I'd been wondering, I was just thinking about this last night. I've been wondering, thinking, well, we can't film TV shows. We can't film dramas. Um, you know, in another few months, the can will be empty and what's going to be public entertainment? What about documentaries? What about everything that's filmed? Um, it's a pretty huge I impact, well, I hard, imagine. The hardest thing is to think of two actors who have to do a, a, a dramatic scene. Exactly. How, right? how they, can they do you know, it? <laughs> I, don't, I don't mean to be facetious, but spit flies, as they say. And, yeah, uh, exactly. You In, know, the crew... The crew will be hunkered down, staring a monitor is quite a ways away with masks on, but the actors are the ones I'm yeah, concerned about. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about as well. It just seems really, oh, I don't even know what words to use anymore. It's all just so new and unusual, and uh, there you go. I know. How do people find out? Do you have a website? Uh, do you, I do is, have a web. Okay. There is a website for the film. Okay. And it is MFK Fisher. Film.com. Oh, excellent. MFK Fisher Film. Dot com. Excellent. Uh, and the, the latest trailer, there's a short on there that's only four and a half minutes, and the latest trailer is approximately 11 minutes. And uh, that will also be on the website. Um, 
and sort of it's a minimal website gives you a background on her uh, and uh, the people making the film. Uh, the trailer is the main reason to go to the website. You can see the you can see uh, the trailer. Yeah, yeah, it was I I loved what I loved what you sent me. I really appreciate that you did and it was um the visuals were quite good. I think there were some tomatoes being fried. Yeah. You could sm- I could practically smell them. I know. Well, that I got to say Alice Waters has been an absolute uh, gem on this project. I mean, she really really liked. I mean, she took MFK Fisher's entire uh psychology and it embraced it in her her world of cooking and running Chez Panisse and mm-hmm. we went over to Chez Panisse oh maybe it was February this year and uh, we had a free run of the restaurant in the uh, afternoon they were prepping uh, and it's a very small kitchen. very tiny people yeah very small no it was very tight and crowded and there must have been 10 15 people working and we we got some really really terrific footage. My cameraman Stephen Burke did a fantastic job. We went. I'll be very candid. We went more for an abstract feel in the food, things happening in the foreground, in focus, and then changing focus, as opposed to, um, oh, say a, a, a literal feeling for the food. I think that is a really really good call. Um, oh, good. Uh, no, I think that's really important. Uh, Mary Frances always said many times, I do not consider myself a food writer. Um, she bristled when she was called a food writer, um, a reaction I understand. And I've always thought when I, th- I think, how would I encapsulate her if I had very few words? Um, she wrote about hunger. She wrote about hunger yep. and its satisfaction. And she wrote about pleasure. And she, to me, she, even though she, I don't think she ever put it this way, she wrote about pleasure as a human birthright and celebrated that perhaps without even realizing that that was what she was doing. And that's, that really appealed to me very, very deeply um, when I first discovered her. So I think making oh, the food no, a I little more abstract. Totally yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Awesome. We're on, we're on the same page with that too. Um, Let's see. Uh, what haven't I asked you that I should be asking you? <laughs> well, um, the film is, yeah, it's it's got a, overtones of food. There is that, but it's a much larger topic. I'm also a, a little sidelined. I am really taking a, a fast food to task in this movie. Cool. And it's my point isn't to clobber us all on the head once again with a film about how awful fast food is in our lives, but instead view fast food and what it's done to eating and eating together and to turn that into the really meaningful words that MFK Fisher talked about, that sitting down to eat together is one of the most important things we do as humans. We're lucky that way. One of the things we do, we really like food. <laughs> we like tastes and flavors, and we're a social uh, creature. And it comes together um, a few times in, in people's lives. And what you love about a great meal, in my opinion, 
is as the, the food, sure, the memories of the great food, it's the people around and that feeling of just feeling at home for that short period of time. Absolutely. I completely agree with you. Mary Frances passed away before the word foodie had gotten traction. And when I think about right. it, I think she would have hated that word, <laughs> I, I think. think. So I can't stand being called a foodie. Foodie mean I've always mm. thought foodie meant, I'm eating this and you're not, ha, ha, ha. Um, there's an arrogance to it, and it elevates the food and it diminishes the companionship of sharing that food that is what makes us human in so many ways. So I just love that you're going to be focusing on that. I really do. Yeah. Very grateful. Yeah, good, good. Excellent. Well, I want to say again, the website is mfkfisherfilm.com. Um, Gregory Bazat, is your, are you producer? How, what do we call you? Oh, filmmaker. Filmmaker. Okay. There we go. Um, I hope to have you on Mouthful again when the film is ready to come out. Um, maybe even have you live in the studio. I hope to meet you. I, well, certainly, I hope. I hope we're not going to just live in our houses for the rest of our lives. I life. know. I hope not. <laughs> oh, thanks so much to both Gregory Bazat and Susie Allen uh, to update us on these things happening. It's so gratifying to me to see this interest in Mary Frances. Um, for a while, uh, as sort of the whole idea of foodie culture was rising and, you know, everybody was talking about, oh, I'm, I'm eating this, just, you know, well, I'm eating that and, you know, I'm so, you know, much better than you because I can get that coffee that's passed through a goat before it's gathered. Um, I think a lot of those things would have just made her head <laughs> explode. Um, she passed away on June 22nd, 1992. And around that time... I was writing a lot of books at that time that led me to travel a lot. And to also I went to, you know, conventions and events and that sort of thing because you have to do that to promote your books. And at that time, a lot of people would confess one or two things about Mary Frances. Um, some of the more arrogant ones would say, well, you know, honestly, she really didn't know that much about food, did she? But that was when people were taking apart the tomato down to its, you know, chromosomes and molecular gastronomy was on the rise. And, you know, you might go to a fancy restaurant and pay $50 for a deconstructed BLT or something. And so there, there was that attitude. And then there was also the attitude, there was a dismissive attitude of, oh, I haven't read her. Everyone talks about her, but I really haven't read her. And to me, that was just... Um, not a statement about her work at all, but it was a statement about the times and where the focus had sort of shifted. And Mark Bittman, writing in um, the New York Times before he left the East Coast and I believe moved to the West Coast, um, said that after 9-11, uh, the people you were dining with became more important than what it was you were dining on. Um, to me... The people I was dining with has always been more important. But I think he was observing something that really happened at that time. Um, and I think it is something that now, because of this new crisis that we're going through, people are longing for something that they might not have realized was so important to them. And that's the sharing of meals, um, the deep communion that happens. And in many ways... 
I have long thought that it's that's really how we structure or should structure our time. Um, people say, oh, I'm too busy to cook. And I want to ask them, well, what do you do when you get home? Do you go spend three hours on Facebook and Instagram and then watch TV? I mean, isn't that how we you know, we work to make a living so that we have money to buy the things that are necessary and desirable. And during during that day, we eat between one and three or four meals. And the pleasure of that meal doesn't come to me from a drive-through window um, or something that I grab and eat while I'm driving somewhere. Um, the real pleasure of that comes from knowing where that zucchini came from, maybe going out in my garden and picking that zucchini and gathering some basil or going to the farm stand or going to the farmer's market and understanding in a really deep way where my food is coming from, how it's grown, who is growing it, um, and then taking it home and the smells and cooking. Um, I love cooking because I love the sensual process of cooking and because I'm a good cook. I like my own food. Um, what can I say? But I think that we're – I'm hoping that one of the good outcomes of this crazy time that we're in is that we're going to to reacquaint ourselves and reestablish those traditions, both of shopping for real food, cooking real food, and sharing real food uh, with people that we love or might love in the future, <laughs> or just kind of know. It's what makes us human. In the meantime, before we can gather, one way to start explore uh, to start exploring much of this is to, if you haven't read Mary Frances before, start reading her. If you think the best way, the best introduction would be her writings that are more specifically about food, I might recommend that you start with um, Alphabet for Gourmets or with Bold Knife and Fork. Um, lively, short chapters, really fun. It will satisfy um, your interest in food. Um, for something more whimsical but equally fun, her, what I think was her third book, second book, Consider the Oyster. It is absolutely wonderful, delightful. I, one of my most prized possessions is a first edition copy of that book that she uh, autographed to me. Um, another one that I think is very relevant to these times is How to Cook a Wolf. You know, like many of us right now are going through pretty hard times financially. Mary Frances lived through hard, um, hard times financially as well. I believe that she got married the year the stock market crashed when she moved to France. That's when she moved to France. Um, she knew how to make 50 cents last, buy you three meals in a day. That is in the book. That's early in the book, How to Cook a Wolf. Um, if you want a shorter story, there's a book called Boss Dog about a dog that they uh, get to know in Aix-en-Provence. But if you're more literarily inclined, I think you find M.F.K. Fisher at the absolute height of her narrative and observational powers in the book, The Gastronomical Me. I've probably read it three times. It is food plays a role, but food is not there. I mean, it's not the point. Food is not the purpose of the book. Food is just one of the elements. Um, I think it's 
an absolutely astonishing achievement. It's a beautiful book. Um, it's very painful. She is in Europe. Uh, the love of her life has a really horrible disease. They had gone to Europe to try to figure out what treatment there might be for him. Um, in the end, there wasn't. There's also, you hear the sound of creeping fascism in Europe, and that's all there, The Gastronomical Bee by MFK Fisher. Next week, we're going to hear from John Harris, who wrote the Book of Garlic and started the Garlic Revolution in 1974. Uh, and was great friends with Mary Francis. And we're going to hear just a little bit from him now. And next week, he will tell us the deep irony of what Emma K. Fisher should happen um, to the Grand Aioli. When I lived in Aix-en-Provence, a Grand Aioli was considered a pretty devastating festival, gastrically at least. And this wine and that one would be recommended to offset its rigors and often serious students of regional cooking would interrupt their research in the middle of a meal for a quick, salubrious crosstown of local mark. In general, though, the main menace in an overindulgence in the sauce rather than in all its accompaniments, and if one is psychosomatically ill-adjusted to a plain, robust meal accompanied firmly by the flavor of garlic, the whole thing should be tucked into gastronomical Siberia. From the downward path with bold knife and fork. And this is L. John Harris, publisher, artist, and writer for Mouthful on KRCB FM. Who can blame them? Why?